With Hashem's assistance, we are learning Gittin Daf Memches, page 48. We begin at the very bottom of 47b, Mem Zayin We're right in the middle of this machlokis, this argument between Rabbi Yechon and Rish Lakish, whether or not if someone sells a field just for the fruits, whether or not the person who has bought the fruits, the rights to the fruits, also has rights to the land itself. The Nafkamina will be whether or not he has to say that line when he brings the Bikurim, whether he has to say the land that you have given me, is it considered that he has land or not? So Rabbi Yochanan holds that sin, you are maybe Bikuri, you do indeed say that line because if you have the fruits, you also have the ground. Rabbi says, no, you don't say that line because even though you have the fruits, you do not have the ground. So now the Gemara says over here, last line, they go according to their own reasoning, the Itmar, because we have a different machlokus, a different argument, where they argue about the same thing. Someone who sells his field in the time when the Yovel is in place, which basically means that after 50 years, every 50 years, so the lands go back to the original owners who originally received them from their forefathers, going back to the times of Yehoshua, the times of Joshua. So that being the case, so whenever somebody buys a field, so really all he's getting it for is for the fruits, because he's going to have to end up giving it back to the person that he bought it from after when, when Yovel comes. So Yechanan here says as well, that you do indeed say the verse, even though you're not actually getting the land because it's going to go back. Nevertheless, so you still say, because since you have the fruits, so it's considered that you have the land as well. Rishlakish, Rishlakish says, no, maybe you bring the Bikurim, but you don't say that verse. Why? Rabbi Yechanan Amar, maybe So Rabbi says that you do indeed say, because when you own the fruits, it's considered like you own the body of the land. So even though you don't actually own the land because it's going to go back, it's going to go back to the original owners eventually, all you're really getting is the fruits. Nevertheless, when you have the fruits, it's considered that you have the land. Rishlakish Amar, Rishlakish says, no, maybe you bring the Bikurim, but you don't read that verse. When you own the fruits, it's not considered that you own the land as well. And we need them to argue in both cases. The Iyadmar Bahahi, if we would have only said it in that case, that in that case, in the case meaning the previous case, the first case, so when he buys the fruits, all he's intending to get is the fruits themselves. So maybe over there, Rachel Lakish says that all you get is the fruits, you don't get the land. But Bahach, in this case, where you're buying a piece of land, so what happens to be the, the, the time that the Yovel, that the Jubilee year, is in effect. Nevertheless, you do intend to get the land. You mean to get the land, so maybe Rishlakish would agree to Rabbi Yechanan that in fact he would indeed have to say that verse because it's considered that he has the land. And if we would have only said the argument in this case, meaning the case by Yovel, maybe only in this case does Rabbi Yechanan say that it's considered that you have the land. Because you did indeed, that's what you bought, you bought the land, okay, it's going to go back. But you intended to have this land at least for this, this period of time. But in the previous case, where all you're getting is the fruits, maybe Rabbi Yechanan would admit to Rish Lakish and say that, in fact, all you get is the fruits and you don't get the land, and therefore you would not say that verse. That's why we need both cases to find out that indeed they argue by both cases. Tashima, we bring a proof. If someone buys a tree along with its land, maybe Vikaire. So we see clearly that if a person is buying the land, like Rabbi Yechanan, you do indeed have to say the verse. It's a question on Rish Lakish. How can Rish Lakish say you don't have to say that verse? You see over here that it's considered that you actually have the land. So Why is it over here that it's considered that you have the land? Because we're talking about a time when the Jubilee year is not in effect. And therefore, when you buy the land, indeed, it doesn't have to go back eventually. So therefore, when you buy that piece of land, you indeed have the land. And therefore, you indeed would say that verse that implies that you have land. Tashima. We bring another proof. If someone buys two trees in the field of his friend, maybe ve'ine kare. 
So he does not have the ability by buying two trees for it to consider that, that the land underneath the trees is his land. And therefore, when he brings the Bikurim, he does not have to read that verse. Hush, Leisha, maybe Vikari, we can deduce from this that if you bought three trees, it would be considered that you have the land, and therefore you wouldn't read that verse implying that you have the land. So it's a question on Rish Lakish. Again, you see that, that uh, it's considered that you have the land. And you would indeed read that verse. Hachanami bezman she'ein hayevel noix. The Gemara says over here as well. We're talking about a case where the the jubilee year is not in effect, and therefore, when you get the land, you really got the land. And now that Rav Chizda has said that their argument is only after the the second from the second yovel and on, but in the first yovel, everyone would agree that when, when the Jews originally came into the land of Israel. They had not yet experienced the Jubilee year. They hadn't experienced the land going back to their original owners after being sold. So when everyone's buying it, so when they originally buy it, so they didn't realize, they didn't know that the land is going to go back to the original owners. They didn't, they didn't live through it. So therefore, that being the case, so when they buy the land, they think that they're getting the land. They feel like the land becomes theirs. And therefore, it's considered that the land is theirs, in fact. And therefore, they would read the verse. Everyone would agree, even Reish Lakish would agree that he reads the verse. So now that we've said this, like Kasha, we can explain those Bryceus that are talking about the fact that you do have to read, that those Bryceus are talking about a case where you sold it in the first Jubilee set of, of years. And therefore, the Jews, whenever they were selling it during that time, so they indeed had smichas adas, they intended to actually own the land and not just the fruits. And therefore, when they bring it to the Beis HaMikdash, when they bring it to the Temple, the Bikurim, the first fruits, so then they wouldn't read that verse. However, the argument that Rish Lakish and Rabbi Yechanan are having whether or not you read the verse is talking about after that time and therefore Rish Lakish would say that no one is intending to actually get the land itself and therefore you wouldn't read the verse because no one has gotten the land the Gemara said, let us say that this is actually an argument between Tanoim and Abraisa. How do I know that if I buy a piece of uh, a field from his father, right? A guy, we'll, talk, call about, we'll call him Ruvain. Ruvain bought a field from his father Yaakov. Now, he didn't actually get it now through any kind of achuza, through an inheritance. The father didn't die yet. So before the father died, so he went and he made it holy, he gave it over to the Beis HaMikdash. And then his father died. So now we have an interesting situation because the halacha is, the Torah says, that if somebody owns a field so, and he's, he bought it from someone else and it's going to go back to the person that he bought it from, let's, let's use Reuven and Shimon. Reuven bought a field from Shimon and it's going to go back to Shimon when the over the year comes. So now if Reuven, who just bought this field, goes and he's mocked this shit, he says it's holy, it goes to the, he wants to give it to the temple. So when the jubilee year comes, the field will go back to the original owner, which was Shimon. However, let's say Shimon himself, who originally owned the field, he got it as an inheritance from his father and from his father's father all the way back to the times of Yehoshua. So if Shimon goes and he is Maktishit and he makes it holy unto the temple, so now what happens in the Jubilee year? If Shimon has not come and redeemed it, meaning he hasn't bought it back, so in the Jubilee year, whoever has bought it from Hektish, from the temple, has to give it back not to Shimon, but rather to the Kohanim. The Kohanes, they split it up. So another question here is like this. Ruvain, he was the son of this guy Yaakov. Ruvain bought it from his father Yaakov. This field should have been his through an inheritance. But instead, what he did was he bypassed the inheritance and he bought it because he needed it now. And what happens? And then he's mocked this shit. 
he made it holy. So now the question is, is this considered that it's bought or something that he's inheriting? Because at some point when his father dies, and in this case, Yaakov dies, his father dies, and now he would have received that as an inheritance. So now the Gemara says like this, How do we know that it's considered like a steachuz, like something that was inherited, and therefore it will not come back to him? It's considered that he had this steachuz, he had this field of inheritance. When you give it over, if it's yours, and it's really yours, so then it's given over completely. Whereas if someone gives it over, then and, and it's not considered there, so that's why it goes back to the original owners. So in this case, how do you know it's considered his completely, and therefore it will not go back to him, because he's really given over his thing to the temple. That's so the verse says, The verse says in regards to a case where it's not going to remain in the hands of the temple, but rather it's going to go back to the original owners. Where is that? If it was a field that was bought, that it's not a field that was given over as an inheritance to the person who gave it over to the temple. So, so the Gemara Darshans, we're learning it from the verse that it's teaching you that it, what kind of field are we talking about? It has to be a field that's not fitting. It could never have become an inheritance for this person. This comes to exclude our case because what happened in our case? Ruvain. So he bought it from his father, but it could have become and it would have become his inheritance. In this case, where it's fitting, it's possible for it to become his inheritance, there Therefore, when he gives it over to the temple, it will not return to him. It will have the full halakhic ramifications as if it was his through the inheritance, even though he bought it. That's Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Meir, however, Rabbi Meir says differently. He says, now, This is a different case. What happens? He bought it, then his father died. So here, if he hadn't bought it, he would have received it before he was actually makdash, before he made it holy to the temple. And then he went after the father died. And he was makdashit, and he made it holy to the temple. How do we know that it's considered to be like an inherited field, and therefore he will not get it back in the Jubilee year? That's what the verse says. When is it considered that it's a field that was bought, and therefore will go back to the original owners? It has to be only if it was not inherited. It's come to exclude this case. Here it is considered, in fact, an inherited field. Now, if we think about this logically, what did he actually buy from his father? He didn't really buy anything more than the fruits, because as we know, let's say the father didn't die, and the jubilee year comes, so then when the son has bought it, it will return back to his father. His father is the one who inherited it. It belongs to the father. So all he really got was the fruits. So now when the father dies, he gets the rest of the property. He gets the actual gufa karke. He gets the actual body of the, of the land itself. Thus, when the father dies, and it's before he's actually made it holy to the temple, it's considered that he has had some kind of Yerusha, he's inherited something. And therefore, according to Rabbi Meir, so it's considered now it's his, it's considered completely his, inherited, and therefore when he gives it to the base of Megdash, to the temple, he's going to completely lose it, it will never come back to him. Now the Gemara continues, In regards to Rabbi Yehuda and in the case where first the father died, and then he dedicated it to the temple, so according to them, it doesn't need a verse, it's obvious according to them. Now, my lab, let us say that this is what they're arguing about. Dear Rabbi Meir Savar, Kinyan Periski, Kinyan Haguf Dami. Rabbi Meir holds that when you have the fruits, it's considered as if you already have the body of the land. You have the land itself. Ubaha, and therefore, the Mises Aviv, in this case, where the father died first, who Delayoris Vlaimidi. Therefore, when the father is dying, he's not getting anything, the son. 
So that's why you need a verse to teach us that in fact, despite the fact that he's not getting anything from, from the Yerusha, from the inheritance from his father, nevertheless, it's still considered that he got something somehow, it's Xerus HaKasuf, and therefore that's why, in fact, it goes over to the Besamidah, to the temple, and that's why he won't get it back in the Jubilee year. Reb Yehuda, Reb Shimon, Savri, however they hold, can that when you have the fruits themselves, it's not considered that you have the body of the land. Dummy, it's not considered. And therefore, when the father dies, that's when he's getting it. So he's. And therefore, in the case where the father dies first and then he makes it holy, you don't need a verse to tell you that it's considered that, he, that it's his through the inheritance. Of course it is. He's gotten something through the inheritance according to them. Then what do we need a verse to teach you? That's the case. The case where first he made it holy, and then his father died. Since it's fitting for him at some point to inherit it, therefore it's considered like an inheritance. That's the Xeris HaKasif. The, the verses come to teach us something like that. And then that would be the same exact argument between Rabbi Yechon and Reish Lakish. Whether or not, when you own the fruits, you also own the, the karka itself. Um, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak says, Really, I'll tell you, that in general, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon both agree, Kinen Peres, Kikinen Haguf. That like Rabbi Yechanan, that when you have the fruits, it's considered that you do have the the ground itself. Dami, it's considered. However, over here, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon, so they had this verse, meaning there was, there was two things that we can learn out from the verse. The verse could have said that if you have a field that was purchased, that he's not going to inherit. Why? My mistake, Achuzas. What does it have to say? A field that he will inherit. It could have just said that he will inherit. It's, when is it considered a field that you've bought? Only if it's never fitting to be a field that you're going to inherit. Which comes to exclude this case where it is indeed fitting to be a steachuza, to someday become an inheritance. So because they have this extra word sada, so they learn that not only in the case where it's going over from the father before the hektish occurred, before they actually made it holy to the temple, but even in the case where he made it holy first and then the father died and he came through an inheritance, since at some point it will be fitting for him to come, therefore, that's also included in the verse, and therefore, when he gives it over to the temple, it's considered like he already inherited it. Amar Yosef, Rav Yosef says like this, If not for the fact that Rav Yechanan himself holds that the own ownership of the fruit is considered like you have an ownership also in the ground, so he wouldn't have, ha- literally it means he wouldn't have found his hands or his feet in the base of Medrash. But what he's saying is he, there would be something else that would be very problematic if he hadn't said that. Amar Rav Asi said in the name of Rav Yechanan, When you have brothers splitting up a field, so they're considered like buyers. And what this means is when you have brothers who are splitting up an inheritance, and they go, and what happens when Yovel comes around is they consider that they actually got this piece of land, it's theirs. Or no, does it have to be returned to the estate and then split up again? So here, Rav Asi says in the name of Yechanan, that in fact, they're considered like buyers. They're not considered that they actually have gotten that piece of land. And therefore, they have to re-split it up when Yovel comes. 
If it be true that just having the fruits is not going to be considered that you have the ground, the only case that you're going to end up having somebody actually bringing Bikurim and saying that positive that verse, it's only going to be in a case where you have one son, who had one son, one son, one son, one son, all the way back to Yeshua Benun, to the times of Yeshua. Because as soon as they split it up, as soon as there's more than one child, so they're splitting it up and it's going to go back in Yovel, and then and that means that they don't actually have anything more than the fruits. So then if that's the case, so then how can they ever have a case? There's, there is no case where someone has actually inherited it and therefore he's going to say that verse. So it must be because Rabbi Yechanan himself holds that if you have the fruits, it's considered good enough that you can say the verse. If you have the fruits, it's considered that you have the ground as well. Amarava, Krau, Masnisin, we have a verse and a brisa that bring down this concept like Rish Lakish, that if you have the Kenyan HaPeris, it's not considered like the Kenyan HaGuf, just owning the fruits is not considered like you own the ground as well. We have the verse, we turn to Memchasim Abayz, page 48b. The verse says that according to the years, according to how many years there are until the Jubilee year, that's how many years it's going to be sold to you. And your soul, what do you get? What, do you, what does the verse say that you are selling? The tvua, the produce itself. But thus you see that all you are actually buying is the produce, but not the actual ground. So that sounds like Rish Lakish. You only get the fruits and not the ground. Masnisa, we have a brisa, the tanya, as we learned on a brisa. This is going to be a proof again to Rish Lakish that you only have the fruits and not the land itself. Bechor naitel pishnaim. A Bechor, a firstborn, has the ability to take double portions. Besada chazeres and we're, we're talking about a field that goes back to the father in the Jubilee year. So what does it mean? What's the proof from here? So Rashi explains that normally, if it's just a payment, if it would just be coming back to him as a payment, so the Bechor does not take double. He only takes double in those things that are there when the father dies. Thus, we see that it's considered that the field that's being given back, meaning some field that was rented or bought for, for a certain amount of time until the Jubilee year. Nevertheless, when it comes back, the Bechor takes double from the fact that it's, that it's considered that he takes double. That proves that, in fact, it's considered that the land belonged to them all along. The land was theirs even when the, the father died. Thus, we see that when a person buys a piece of land from someone, that all he's getting is the fruits. Again, this is a proof to Reish Lakish. Amr Abai, Abai says like this, Naktinan, we take on, we take on Lahalacha, Baal Harsha. That when you have a man, so all he has in the properties of his wife is the fruits. And therefore, if someone comes and says that that piece of land is mine, what do you mean it's your wife's? So in order for the Baal, the husband, to be involved in this dispute, as opposed to the wife being directly involved, so he has to have permission, a written document stating that he has permission to be involved in the dispute. We're only speaking about a case where the dispute did not involve the fruits, the produce of the field. If, let's say, the person who's disputing is saying that he indeed even owns the fruits, which really now, as long as he's married to his wife, so he owns the fruits themselves. Once the, there's already involvement on behalf of the husband in regards to the fruits, so he can also get involved in regards to the actual property itself, even without any kind of document from the wife stating that he allows her to be, stating that she allows him to be in charge of the land. We return to you, chapter. We need to go over the Gemara's that we learned. And we continue now. In regards to any damages that a person has caused, so when he has to pay back, if he has no money, so the person who is damaged has the ability to collect from the from the property of the person who caused the damage. So now when he goes to collect from the, the property, there are different levels of property. The lowest level is Zibiris. 
that's low quality land. The middle level is Benonis, which means middle, and the highest level is called Idis. So now in regards to damages, so the one who's coming to collect the damages that were caused, so he's allowed to collect from the person who damaged from his best land. Or we'll see exactly whose best land, but Pashtas, simple explanation is from his best land. And if someone's coming to collect alone, so he can only collect from the medium land of the one who borrowed the money. If a woman is coming to collect money that's owed to her because uh, the, either the husband passed away or divorced her, so she can only collect from the worst quality land. Rabbi Meir, I mean Rabbi Meir says, Rabbi Meir holds that even a woman who's coming to collect her ksuva money can also collect from the medium level land. The Mishnah says that if, let's say, you want to go and collect from something that is is currently sold to someone else, meaning, here's the, the, the circumstance, Ruvain lent Shimon money. Now, at the time when Ruvain lent Shimon money, so Shimon had a certain property, and thus that piece of property is encumbered to the loan. Thus, if Ruvain wants to come and collect the, the, the loan and the guy doesn't have any, Shimon doesn't have any money, so he can collect that piece of land. Now, what if Shimon went and sold that piece of land? So, Ruvain still has a right to go back to the person who sold, to who bought the piece of land and say, listen, that's something that I'm supposed to collect from. However, if there still is some kind of land that's left by Shimon, meaning there's some piece of land that Shimon did not actually sell, even even if it's low quality, and the one that he sold was a higher quality, so Ruvain can only collect from the lower quality one, the one that hasn't been sold yet. He can't go to the person who bought the higher quality one and say, hey, I, I should really get that one. He doesn't have a right to do that. In regards to people who are orphans, their father passed away, so you can only take from their properties from the lowest quality, no matter what you're trying to collect. The Mishnah continues, in the case, the Rashi explains that the case is like this, where you had somebody go, Ruvain went and he bought a field from Shimon. Little did he know that Shimon had actually stolen that piece of property from Levi. Levi's been away for a year, so Ruvain has now bought Levi's property from Shimon, not realizing that it belongs to Levi. Now Levi comes home, and he says, Ruvain, what are you doing on my property? Ruvain says, what do you mean? I bought it from Shimon. Levi says, that's not Shimon's, it's mine. I didn't sell it to Shimon. So now, Ruvain loses the piece of land. It was a mistake, it really belonged to Levi. However, in the meantime, Ruvain had invested a lot of time and effort and money into developing this piece of land. So what happens? So he can go back to the person that he bought it from, which was Shimon, and he has a document that states that he bought it from him, and he gets his money back for the purchase of the land, and he also gets money for the fruits, as well as whatever value the land has gone up. So, in if you're coming to that guy, Ruvain is coming to Shimon, who he bought the, the land by mistake from, and he wants to collect back the value of the fruits, as well as the value that the, the land has gone up. So he can't take that, and in regards to food that's supposed to be given over to a woman after her husband has died from the children, and for the daughters, you can't collect that from encumbered properties, any properties that were sold in the meantime, from the time that there was a chiyuv, from the time that there was a, an obligation to give this money, but they take an because of some kind of rectification of the world, we'll have to see what that is exactly. Someone who finds a lost object, he doesn't swear, again because of some kind of rectification of the world. Gemara, we begin the Gemara, 
the Mishnah said that all of these different cases, the reason that they're true is all because of some kind of rectification of the world. So Gemara says, wait, hold on a second. The Arisahi, it happens to be that in regards to the fact that a Nizak, someone who's damaged, he's allowed to collect from the best property, that's not something that's that's a rectification of the world. It's not something we need to rabban from the rabbis, but rather it's from the Torah. The Chesib the verse says, Meitav Sadehu, Meitav Karma Yishalim. He has to pay the best of his fields. Abayah's shita is, and we're going to have in another Amr and a half, a different shita, but Abayah's shita is that this is talking about the shita of Rabbi Shmuel, the Amr, that from the Torah, whose best of the field are we using? Whose best fields are we using? We go after the best fields of the person who was damaged. That means that if the person who caused the damage has a better field, it doesn't matter. We don't collect from the better field of the one who caused the damage, but rather the best field of the one who was damaged. However, because of a tikkun ha'olam, some kind of rectification of the world, meaning we take the best fields of the mazik, of the one who caused the damage. And Rashi explains that the reason that we do this is so that the person who's causing damage makes sure not to cause damage, meaning he's more careful with his things so he doesn't lose his best properties. Now, my Rabbi Shmuel, what is the statement of Rabbi Shmuel? The time we have a bryce, yishalim. It says in the verse, the best of his fields, the best of his vineyards shall he pay. shall nizak, we're talking about the best fields of the one who was damaged. That's Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Kiva says, This is just coming to teach us that you have to use the best. And certainly in regards to hektish, if there's some kind of damage involving hektish, also it has to be done from the best. It'll be Shmuel, and according to Rabbi Shmuel, so the Gemara here has a Havamina, a different understanding of this Brisa. Let's say you the, the damage was caused to some kind of very good part of the field. So you pay back a good part of the field. Let's say the damage was caused to a weak Shvacha part of the field, Mishalim Shemini, you're also going to pay from the best. It doesn't make sense. All you should have to pay is what you damage. You shouldn't have to pay anything more. Amar of Idi Bar Avin, Hachab Maskin, and Sir of Idi Bar Avin says, What are we talking about here? That the damage was caused to one of the, one of the in between. Uh, rose. It's not clear if what was eaten was a good part or a, or a weak part. The and and therefore, since we're not sure, we're gonna the, the Torah is telling us that indeed you have to pay from the best. We have to assume that what was damaged was a better part. If we know that he that he damaged a weak part of the field, he pays back a weak part. Now that we don't know, so he's going to have to pay back a very strong part. When you get damaged, so you're you're coming to say that someone else owes you money. When you are the one that's saying that someone else owes you money, you have to prove it. So how can it be? the top of 49a. What are we talking about here? That the case is talking about where the best part of the field, the best fields of the one who got damaged, were as good as equal to the worst of the fields of the one who caused the damage. Rabbi Shmuel Sav, Rabbi Shmuel holds Bidenizak Shaminan. We go after the best of the one who was damaged. Rabbi Kiva Sav, Bidemazak Shaminan. And Rabbi Kiva holds that no, we go after the best of the one who caused the damage. We'll continue from here in the next daily daf.